Section 37 of Waverley, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Waverley, or Tis Sixty Years Since, Volume 2 by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 72. A Postscript, which should have been a preface. Our journey is now finished, gentle reader and if your patience has accompanied me through these sheets, the contract is, on your part, strictly fulfilled. Yet, like the driver who has received his full hire, I still linger near you, and make, with becoming diffidence, a trifling additional claim upon your bounty and good nature. You are as free, however, to shut the volume of the one petitioner as to close your door in the face of another. This should be a prefatory chapter, but for two reasons. First, that most novel readers, as my own conscience reminds me, are apt to be guilty of the sin of omission respecting that same matter of prefaces. Secondly, that it is a general custom with that class of students to begin with the last chapter of a work, so that, after all, these remarks, being introduced in last order, have still the best chance to be read in their proper place. There is no European nation which, within the course of half a century or little more, has undergone so complete a change as this Kingdom of Scotland. The effects of the insurrection of 1745, the destruction of the patriarchal power of the Highland chiefs, the abolition of their heritable jurisdictions, of the lowland nobility and barons, the total eradication of the Jacobite party, which adverse to intermingle with the English, or adopt their customs, long continued to pride themselves upon maintaining ancient Scottish manners and customs. Commence this invocation. The gradual influx of wealth and extension of commerce has since united to render the present people of Scotland a class of beings as different from their grandfathers as the existing English are from those of Queen Elizabeth's time. The political and economical effects of these changes have been traced by Lord Selkirk with great precision and accuracy, but the change, though steadily and rapidly progressive, has nevertheless been gradual, and like those who drift down the stream of a deep and smooth river, we are not aware of the progress we have made until we fix our eye on the now distant point from which we have been drifted. Such of the present generation as can recollect the last twenty or twenty-five years of the eighteenth century will be fully sensible of the truth of this statement, especially if their acquaintance and connections lay among those who in my younger time were faciously called fogs of the old leaven, who still cherished a lingering though hopeless attachment to the house of Stuart. This race has now almost entirely vanished from the land, and with it, doubtless, much observed political prejudice, but also many living examples of singular and disinterested attachment to the principles of loyalty which they received from their fathers, and of old Scottish faith, hospitality, worth, and honour. It was my accidental lot, though not born a Highlander, which may be an apology for much bad Gaelic, to reside during my childhood and youth among persons of the above description, 
and now for the purpose of preserving some idea of the ancient manners of which i have witnessed the almost total extinction i have embroidered the imaginary scenes and ascribed to fictitious characters a part of the incidents which i then received from those who were actors in them indeed the most romantic parts of this narrative are precisely those which have a foundation in fact the exchange of mutual protection between a highland gentleman and an officer of rank in the king's service together with the spirited manner in which the latter asserted his right to return the favour he had received is literally true the ancient by a musket shot and the heroic reply imputed to flora relate to a lady of rank not long deceased and scarce a gentleman who was in hiding after the battle of culloden but could tell a tale of strange concealments and of wild and hair's breath scrapes as extraordinary as any which i have ascribed to my heroes of this the escapes of charles edward himself and the most prominent is the most striking example the accounts of the battle at preston and skirmish at clifton are taken from the narrative of intelligent eye-witnesses and corrected from the history of the rebellion by the late venerable author of douglas the lowland scottish gentlemen and the subordinate characters are not given as individual portraits but are drawn from the general habits of the period of which i have witnessed some remnants in my younger days and partly gathered from tradition it has been my object to describe these persons not by a caricatured an exaggerated use of the national dialect but by their habits manners and feelings so as in some distant degree to emulate the admirable irish portraits drawn by miss edgeworth so different from the teagues and dear joys who so long with the most perfect family resemblance to each other occupied the drama and the novel i feel no confidence however in the manner in which i have executed my purpose indeed so little was i satisfied with my production that i laid it aside in an unfinished state and only found it again by mere accident among other waste papers in an old cabinet the drawers of which i was rummaging in order to accommodate a friend with some fishing tackle after it had been mislaid for several years two works upon similar subjects by female authors whose genius is highly credible to their country, have appeared in the interval. I mean Mrs. Hamilton's Glenburney and the late account of Highland Superstitions, but the first is confined to the rural habits of Scotland, of which it has given a picture with striking and impressive fidelity, and the traditional records of the respectable and ingenious Mrs. Grant of Lagan are of a nature distinct from the fictitious narrative which i have here attempted i would willingly persuade myself that the preceding work will not be found altogether uninteresting to elder persons it will recall scenes and characters familiar to their youth and to the rising generation the tale may present some idea of the manners of their forefathers yet i heartily wish that the task of tracing the evanescent manners of his own country had employed the pen of the only man in scotland who could have done it justice of him so eminently distinguished in elegant literature 
and whose sketches of Colonel Caustic and Umfreville are perfectly blended with the finer traits of national character. I should in that case have had more pleasure as a reader than I shall ever feel in the pride of a successful author, should these sheets confer upon me that envy distinction. And, as I have inverted the usual arrangement, placing these remarks at the end of the work to which they refer, I will venture on a second violation of form, by closing the whole with a dedication. These volumes being respectfully inscribed to our Scottish Addison, Henry Mackenzie, by an unknown admirer of his genius. End of chapter 72 End of Waverley, or to Sixty Years Since, Volume 2 by Sir Walter Scott. Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England.